Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. Uh, welcome back. It's been a while. We're, we're, we are still alive and we're here, uh, tonight. I am KB5JBV, uh, Richard. Y'all are, re- may be, may or may not reasonably be familiar with me. And I would like to introduce to you the Emperor of the Known Universe, the Padishah Emperor Russ, KB5TUX. Hello, Russ. How's it going? Well, except for the fact that you apparently forgotten my call sign, everything's going great. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm broadcasting tonight from Studio 1N, back in north-central Arkansas for the first time in quite some time. And Richard over there is having a small stroke, but we should be able to get to the end of the program before we have to call an ambulance. So, with that, I guess I'll send it back down to you. Well, it's been one of those days, and I'm already drooling all over myself. I can feel that one side of my face has slid down into my lap, but that's okay. We're not doing video anymore, so I don't even have to comb my hair to do this show, and um, I'm sure we'll get on through to the end. And uh, what the hell did I say? I don't know. What did you say? You, you were kind of introducing the show. You said I splattered your call sign. You said KB5TUX or something like that. I don't even remember. That's because neither one of us have it on the ball, but that's okay. We're here. Y'all, y'all are listening and life is good. We have reached episode number 50, a half a century. You know, uh, it's amazing, but we'll get back to that. I'm more interested in how Russ's trip went. Russ has been off in California. You know, the first week was my fault. The second week he was out of pocket and I would like to find out how other than the crappy bandwidth at the hotel is, uh, visit to california was well my visit to california was actually quite good i went to the large installation systems administration conference code name lisa and i was out in san jose for eight days soaking in the sunshine and the not terribly warm weather but i spent most of it indoors anyway so it, it really wouldn't matter what it was like outside I learned all kinds of stuff, stuff that I'm still trying to implement on a day-to-day basis, but my my head is all swollen from all the new Linux and systems administration information that I gathered. I don't know what I'm going to do with it all, but that's why we were late by a couple of weeks getting the podcast out. So now now I'm back into the groove. I'm back at home, back where, uh, you know, all the trees are dead and there are no movie stars roaming around and... Silicon Valley is now just a distant memory. So 
on to the podcast. Well, there you go. And uh, that's what y'all miss, not being in the chat room when we're doing a live show, is that uh, uh, Cheryl's in there telling off on Russ right now. But if you want to find out what uh, what was going on on that situation, you're going to have to contact her directly because I don't think there's any log you can go back and check on it. All right, so uh, my three weeks have not been overly exciting uh i'm glad to see actually a handful of people in the in the uh chat room this evening we may have to rethink our starting time but we got a boatload compared to what we normally have and it's nice to see all of you in there this evening this evening yes it's now, al- i would also like to welcome any new listeners to the show i don't think we we welcome new listeners often enough and I think we do get new listeners almost every single show. So if you are a new listener to Linux in the Ham Shack, welcome. Uh, as y'all can tell, we're pretty laid back this evening. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next thing. Um, the 50th episode. This is actually our 50th episode. Now, for, oh, wait a minute. I had, to, I had a question to ask about Silicon Valley, Russ. Okay, what about Silicon Valley? Did you stand in front of the Google building and flip them the finger? No, the Google building is, was quite a ways from where I was, actually, and uh, I really didn't have time to go over there just uh, just for that purpose. Did you stand on the balcony and flip them the finger? I flipped the, I flipped the bird in their general direction. Oh, okay. Well, that works because everybody knows here in Balt Springs, Texas, I normally, first thing when I get up is face the direction of... Uh, uh, what the hell the name of that place is? Mecca? No. Oh, you're talking about Redmond? Redmond. Redmond, Washington. Every morning I get up, walk out in the backyard, face the general direction, and throw a finger in there. Little little extra class salute for uh, those who are in charge up there now, even though I understand that uh, Bill Gates is not because he's going around doing stuff trying to get into heaven, which is not going to help because Windows is still his fault. Anyway, 50th episode, 50th episode, we we have finally made it. Uh, for all of you out there that uh, do listen and uh, we don't give us any indication that you do because you're still waiting for us to fail, <laughs> we made it. We're twice what y'all anticipated we wouldn't be able to make it to, so <laughs> that was pretty negative, wasn't it? <laughs> you're a pretty generally negative person. I, I don't think anyone's going to fault you for that. I used to be a happy, positive kind of guy until everybody started screwing with me. Nobody's screwing with you tonight. No, that's what I was saying earlier before we even started recording. I said to myself, I said to y'all, I said to myself, I said, you know, it's a dang shame that the the people I actually like like hanging around with are the ones that I only uh, talk to for about an hour or so every other week. Well, let's start with this. AD7MI, thank you. And you'll have to wait till we get to the end of the program to find out what that's about. <laughs> All right. So we got lots of stuff to talk about. I think we, I think we should just, um, that, that thing you were going to talk about, at least as far as 87 MI is concerned, mm-hmm. we can, we can put that towards the back, but we should probably talk about 87 MI right up front. And what I'm specifically referring to is www.87mi.com stroke Question mark P equals 2736. Are you talking about the blog entry? I am talking about the blog entry. Okay. Let me answer Bill's question before we move on to that. Bill says, why is 50 episodes a milestone? 
number one, um, when I suggested the idea of Linux in the ham shack, uh, several months before Russ and I even connected, uh, I was told by one of the more prominent hams that hangs out on Twitter that he had thought I was out of my mind because there wasn't near enough content to create more than a handful of shows concerning amateur radio and the Linux operating system. Most importantly, uh, I'd like to say a big, uh, hey. secondly, secondly, number 50, uh, allows us to be in a position where we can take our uh, shows, which we would be able to upload to the internet archive anyway. And we can take them and request that they cluster them in a collection which means that they will have their own spot in the Internet Archive. And from that point on, they will be out there forever. You know, there are some shows that uh, shut the doors and there's no way to get their information. There was a a show on uh, done by Chess Griffin, uh, Linux Reality, that uh, when he quit putting them out, he stopped at 100 shows. He stopped at 100 shows and... uh, he left his blog up with the entries, with the files accessible, but after it went three or four months, stuff started disappearing on it and everything else. He, uh, somebody got in contact with him. They got it all fixed and stuff, and I haven't checked it lately. But the problem is that uh, Linux in Hamshack and Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, are both uh, on a uh, space that we purchase and that when we let that space go, if there's not st- some place for this stuff to be and rest, then uh, it'll go away too, and it won't be accessible. And as far as the other show and this show, I, I I really want these episodes since we put them out for our listeners and not for our own personal satisfaction. He he, we want to make sure that they're out there for people to use, and that's one of the reasons we stay away from dated stuff. Now. The Internet Archive is a place where they store all kinds of stuff. Uh, the Gutenberg Project is tied into the Internet Archive where you can find public domain books, old stuff that uh, otherwise you wouldn't be able to get your hands on. There's audio stuff over there, uh, audio books and radio shows and stuff like that that have found their way into the public domain. Uh Videos, movies, stuff like that. There's a lot of information over there at the Internet Archive, and what they're trying to do is make sure that they archive everything that there is to have so it can uh, be accessed in the future. In fact, when I was reading up on uh, uh, getting them to cluster our stuff into a collection, one of the things they were talking about is they expect it to be there a long, long time. So uploading files, even in wave format, which is pretty huge for any of y'all that have ever messed with that, uh, don't be afraid to do so because in a few years, a wave file may not be that big, relatively speaking. So, uh, yeah, y'all go over and check out the Internet Archive. I'm sure Russ has already pulled up the, the URL for that one. Uh, what's the URL, Russ? Well, that's easy. It's www.archive.org. And there you go. Y'all go on over and check it out. All right. Oh, furthermore, I would like to add that 50 is a milestone in terms of podcasting and in terms of Linux in the Hamshack because we say it is. There you have it. All the the, uh, most sophisticated badgers agree that 50 is just like a really good number. 
Well, I, I just got some information via Lord Drakenblut, who's in the chat room tonight, and I definitely want to announce this. It is a registration promo code for his Linux uh, conference coming up in, uh, I believe it's Indianapolis, Indiana, next year sometime, and you have to go over to the website to tell exactly when, because I don't know. Uh, but it's the Indiana Linux Fest, and uh, the website is www.indianalinux.org. And if you go over there and you want to register for that show and show up, you know, whenever that is, um, and this, it's not, not happening too close to uh, the Mid-America GNU Linux Networkers Conference, so don't worry about that. You can go to both. But if you use the promo code LHSPODCAST50, which is in celebration of our 50th episode, you'll uh, get a $15 discount on the registration at the Indiana Linux Fest. So we want to thank Lord Drakenblut for that and let everybody know about it. And if you have a chance to go to the Indiana Linux Fest, you should definitely check out his his uh, conference effort, the thing they've got going on over there. So go to indianalinux.org and, and uh, find out all about it. And it is still in the planning stages, y'all. So, uh, uh, we'll try to keep y'all posted. Uh, if something else comes up concerning, concerning the information, you might, you'll be able to find it over at the website. We'll try and get something on about that. Anyway, y'all, y'all, y'all check out the website, listen to the show, and we'll, we'll keep y'all updated on what's going on with that. Oh, and he just said that it does have to be in all caps. LHS podcast 50 in all caps. So. Remember that when entering the code. What's your um, input on a little music before we move on, Russ? I think that's perfect. And um, we have a little special treat for episode 50. The The music for this episode are going to be two songs by a group called 20 Pound Sounds. For those people who don't know about 20 Pound Sounds, you can go to 20pound.net. That's 20lb.net. 20LimaBravo.net. Both bits of music are going to be from from that group. Dan Lynch, who is one of the Linux Outlaws, is the front man for that band. They are the ones who are providing the music for this episode. So uh, everybody sit back and enjoy the sounds of 20-pound sounds. As long as it's not fab. We'll be right back. Bottomless pit of my hand was 
chanson That's why Russ is the music director on this particular show because apparently everything I like, everybody hates. It's not that people hate it. It's just that all you play is blues and everybody wants a little bit of variety now and then. That's all. So let's go ahead and move on and uh, see if we can't whoop this stuff out. Uh, we currently in the chat room do have 87MI. And uh, I was reading through an article that he posted over at Linux Journal. And... Uh, uh, my nerves have been a little raw, so I hit a paragraph that made my hackle shoot straight up in there, and then it turned around and calmed back down a little bit later in the thing. Main point I wanted that this brought to my mind that I wanted to make clear to all the listeners is that y'all have to remember, uh, first and foremost, in this situation, Linux and Hamshack is basically targeted at the novice Linux user. And within that, the novice Linux user that's an amateur radio operator. One of the reasons I say that is because I was an amateur radio operator for 14 or 15 years before I even decided to give Linux a try. Moving on through this article, he makes a lot of good points, and it is a really good article. Uh, don't let yourself fl- just go off the deep end the way I do about stuff. He was talking about trying to get to his shack in shape, what would be the, the best thing to use, and that he had tried several things. Uh, one of the things that Dan, one of the things that he brought up was a shack box. Now, uh, we had a little issue with the shack box guy. The guy was trying to profit off a Linux distribution uh, in a back-ended way, and I told him we would no longer promote Shackbox. It's my understanding at this point in time that he has quit maintaining it. Uh, that's one reason we should try to stick with the uh, distributions that have a track history that uh, we could get the packages for, uh, that if we can't get a package for it, that the program itself is not too difficult to uh, compile and that kind of stuff. So what are your thoughts on that, Russ? I, I think we got him to come around. Shackbox is now a free distribution again. And while I don't particularly like Shackbox, I think you can have a particular, you know, a perfectly fine distribution just using vanilla Debian or vanilla Ubuntu and installing the ham radio applications out of the repository. I don't want to dismiss F0FAK and his efforts to provide a decent uh, ham radio distribution. 
Um, one, one thing that's interesting about Shackbox is that he packages it with Ham Radio Deluxe and wine. So for those people who are interested in using Linux and still keeping their Ham Radio Deluxe around, Shackbox is a distribution that will allow you to do that. I don't necessarily think that's the way to go. And 87MI in his post also doesn't think that was the way to go. And as we go through this article, we'll see how he overcame that that obstacle. Well, see, that's my point with HRD2. Um, I have a lot of little minor issues, but at the end of the day, my problems with HRD is, well, why would you run it under wine if you have something you can... And HRD, in my opinion, and I may be wrong, y'all correct me in the chat room if I am, but doesn't it kind of defeat the the way that the Linux folks think when uh, the opinion should be do one thing and do it extremely well, which would make HRD exactly the opposite of that because it does many things and doesn't do any of them extremely well. I have used HRD even though... Uh, a lot of people think I just gripe about it because I want to gripe about it. There is no silver bullet where amateur radio is concerned on, uh, especially in the case of digital modes, because you're going to have to have FL Digi. You're going to have to have a logging program that'll hook into that. You're going to have to have all this stuff that, yeah, HRD does for you. And don't get me wrong, Simon's done a lot of work trying to get everything working as well as possible. Unfortunately, it has little tiny glitches in it, just like any other piece of software. And we can't expect the uh, Linux programmers to spend more time on us than they do on the uh, Windows stuff, because quite frankly, they get paid for that. Well, I've used Ham Radio Deluxe myself, and my problem with it was the first time I started up, the interface was so busy, I started getting schizophrenia just from trying to use it. So Mm -hmm. I kind of went back to to Linux where everything wasn't quite as flashy and and have all the bells and whistles and things like that, but it did what it was supposed to. And, yes, I may have to have two, maybe three applications open instead of Ham Radio Deluxe all by itself, but to me that doesn't really matter. If those three applications run simultaneously and do what they're supposed to do, uh, that's not really a big deal as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, exactly, and... You know, as this article goes on, he's talking about the issues with CQR log and that kind of stuff. And yes, uh, we've talked about CQR log. And one of the things I specifically said when we were uh, uh, discussing CQR log is that you have to have the uh, rig control libraries installed or it won't run. And that's one of the, sh- one of the small things that we have to deal with. And one of the reasons that we did a show specifically about CQR log, in fact, I think we did too, and uh, made sure that everybody, or tried to make sure that everybody knew, you have to install that rig control uh, libraries or it won't work. Now, as far as rigs are concerned, I run mine with 897D, uh, and it runs just fine. It's a little flaky if I use a USB port for uh, rig control. So I ended up installing a serial card in the uh, computer that I have running that stuff, but it runs just fine on serial port or uh, serial, yeah, serial port and uh, works like it's supposed to. But we'll get further into that kind of stuff later on in the show. As far as 
taking everything, putting it all together. That's one of the things that amateur radio operators are supposed to be able to do. And those, those of you that have been using Linux for some time, that's some of the stuff y'all should need to do. You know, one of the advantages we have is that we can have multiple desktops. We can have lots of, uh, lots of windows open in one particular desktop. We have lots of ways to manage these different programs as they're running. And one giant heavy piece of software like HRD, uh, really doesn't take any more power to run a bunch of smaller programs. Get them sorted out the right way, it'll work for you. I didn't want to talk about this to rake anybody over the coals or trash shack box. As y'all can tell, I stayed as far away from Simon as I could. Like I said, I was reading down through here. And you know, y'all know occasionally if I'm not paying attention, something will uh, trip trip my angry badger switch. Unfortunately, I w- should have read the whole article before I let it irritate me because he's right. The bottom line is that it ain't Windows. And with a little bit of persistence, a little bit of help, and that's one of the reasons we're here. Well, that's one of the reasons Russ is here. I'm here so y'all can see my pretty face. But with a little persistence, taking a little time, uh, if you can't get it working on your own, you can find somebody in the community that can. What did distress me, though, is that, uh, and I will be have to be, I will have to be looking into this, is that he also mentioned that Apparently, CQR log does not play like, play nice with 64-bit distributions of Ubuntu. Now, 64-bit distributions of Ubuntu don't play nice with my 64-bit computers, so uh, I can see where this might be an issue, uh, but I will be having to check in to that myself. So uh, you got anything else on that, Russ? Well, we probably should get down to the bottom of his article and, and read uh, read the end so everybody can hear the, the success story. Well, the actual end of it is, let's see. The final nail in the coffin for Windows and HRD was when I exported my log and then imported it into CQR log without issue. Now I'm truly spinning and grinning and 100% in a 100% Linux nirvana but i think russ wanted me to start up a little higher that's okay i think we just need to talk about the applications that finally made it perfect for him and those applications were fl digi cqr log and fl rig between those three applications his sound card interface and a linux distribution he achieved linux nirvana so it doesn't take much folks it really doesn't no it doesn't and uh, y'all know my head ain't screwed on right, so I, I, like I said, we're not here to trash anybody. We're not here to gripe about things. But since it was already there, <laughs> did we run him off? No, he's still there. He's still there. And he's using a rig blaster. It looks like rig blaster plug and play, which is yeah. one of the one of the cheaper rig blasters. But this this article, which uh, outlines eighty seven mi's success story. Well, sort of uh, his his trial and error and struggles with Windows and an attempt to to achieve that Linux nirvana, finally culminating with uh, that little bit of or that uh, huge, I should say, bit of success at the end, leads to another email he sent us, in which he asks us what we would consider an ideal Linux ham shack. What 
what if we could have the ideal Linux ham shack in our heads would be in it. You know, uh, you were talking about sound cards a while ago. Rig blaster, rig blaster, rig blasters. All I hear about rig blasters. Uh, you know what? There's plenty of sound card interfaces out there. And the one that I like, Russ doesn't like. And the one that Russ has, I don't particularly care for. And it's a, a lot of matter of preference. So I really think in the long run that we would probably have, uh, slightly different thoughts. Uh, you start off, Russ. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure necessarily that, um, we, di- we disagree as much as you may think. In my ham shack, I'm gonna, I'm gonna basically outline my ham shack because that is, of course, what I believe would be the ideal ham shack because that's what I have. I have two radios in my ham shack. I have a VHF UHF dual bander and I have an HF radio. And because of that, I have two sound card interfaces. And those two sound card interfaces are the Rascal GLX and the Rig Blaster Plus. Now I just, I just picked up the Rig Blaster Plus and it works really well. I was a little bit disappointed with my Rascal GLX at first, um, because the quality is not as high as some of the other sound card interfaces that are out there. But I am currently using it with my VHF rig for Echolink, and for that purpose, it actually works absolutely perfectly. So I can't really complain about it anymore. And I'm using the Rig Blaster Plus for my HF radio and for anything that I do with my HF radio, which might include things like PSK or CW or what I'm doing right now, which is Whisper, which is something we talked about in episode number 49. However, if I had to pick any sound card interface that I really wanted, money was no object and all that happy stuff there, I would probably pick the MicroHam USB 3. Uh, structurally, you know, it comes in a metal project box. It has a very nice layout, both on the front with its knobs for transmit and receive sensitivity. And it's rear panel layout for rig control, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that all of the communications are settable via jumpers inside the box for different radios and so on. And of course you can buy an interface cable that uh, matches your rig for the, the way it's designed and the structure and how well built it seems to be. I think my ideal sound card interface would be the USB interface three from Microham. Uh, you can find those at microham-usa.com, I believe, uh, for the USA site. Uh, so if you had, so if you had to pick your ideal sound card interface, Richard, what would it be? Well, actually, I haven't worked with a lot of them. The one I've had my own is a SignalLink USB. Uh, sound card interface mostly because initially i was having a lot of uh, noise issues on my sound cards and it sports a uh, uh, external sound card but i'm a lot of the guys down here are using those and getting a lot having a lot of success with them i myself am quite happy with my rascals i have them wired up for uh, kimwood and yezu radios and have never really had an issue with them in fact one of the reasons I went ahead and got one in the first place is that they uh, gave me the isolation that I didn't have in my, my homemade ones. 
Y'all have to understand, I come from uh, the guys that were my owners were the ones that would look you in the eye and say, uh, build it. If you want it for your radio stuff, build it. If you can't build it, then buy it. So that's one of the places I come from on this. Um, one of the things that, that Bill points out that I forgot to mention is that the MicroHam USB interface is also a sound card. It comes with a sound card in it. So you don't actually need a separate sound card. It does everything built in. The only connection you have to have with your computer is a USB, a USB connection. Um, and then all the signaling, the PTT, the sound card connections, etc., are done via the MicroHam USB 3. In the case of the Rascal GLX or any of the rig blasters, they are just interfaces. They are not, in fact, sound cards. Speaking of sound cards, what would you recommend in the way of your ideal ham, ham radio shack sound card? Well, see, that takes us back once again. Uh, all of the uh, sound cards I use are the ones that are were in the machines when I got them. A lot of them are on board sound cards. Uh, one or two of them are add-ons and that kind of stuff. And uh, that's one of the reason I was one of the reasons I was having a noise issue and uh, looking at something that had the external sound card and that kind of stuff. Just about any external sound card that is reasonable quality and not one of the. Uh, trashy crappy ones you can get on ebay would serve my purposes you know you know i'm the minimalist guy i like to use used equipment whenever possible plus i like something that looks like a telephone modem (laughs) okay i would say that if you're going to um if you have a pc that has a sound card built into it whether it be an intel or say a creative labs chipset which most of them seem to be these days you're really not going to have any problems with your sound card interface. You know, Linux supports just about everything out of the box. However, if you have to add a sound card interface to your to your machine, I would recommend getting a Sound Blaster chipset. Um, I personally am using USB Sound Blasters, uh, the Sound Sound Blaster XFi USB sound cards. I have two of them, uh, sort of hanging off the back of my my shack computer right now and those things work flawlessly some of the other uh like richard was saying some of the other usb sound interfaces that you can get for like six bucks off of ebay they don't necessarily work so well however i have found out that the sound blaster Audigy se card which is the ca0106 model it has support in the linux kernel and if you have one of those cards in your system, it will show up as an interface and everything. But I have tried two of them, and I cannot get either one to work uh, at all, not even just for system sound. So I would recommend staying away from that one. And uh, the two that I had, one was actually one was actually branded a Sound Blaster, and the other one was a Rocket Fish. Uh, they sell them at Best Buy. So uh, stay away from those. But almost anything else should work just fine. Yeah, I, w- I would think so also. Your, your main problem is going to be uh, noise off of whatever's inside the cabinet. And that was a problem I had for a long time. Uh, one of the things that throws me with sound card interfaces is the fact that I spent so many years using modems 
for uh, digital work on amateur radio. And when I say modems, I'm talking about TNCs, uh, all-mode controllers, that kind of stuff. Uh, at one time, we did use something for Packet that was uh, built by, I can't remember the name of the company. It was a uh, Packet Radio card that you inserted in the back of the machine like any other, uh, like a serial port card or something like that. And then I, you could operate two to four radios off of it and that kind of stuff. But uh, didn't problem there was noise also. So uh, as far as inside the machine, I've always had noise issues where that was concerned. Now, um, these new newer machines I have now, which are not new machines, but they're newer than what I've had in the past, um, as far as the noise issues, a lot better. Uh, I still get interference in the 20-meter PSK portion of the band when the fax machine is plugged in in the room next to this one. I also have a little bit of an issue up towards the top of that where the uh, where some of the MFSK-16 and uh, Olivia are running. But as far as all I have to do is go unplug the fax machine and it goes away. I thought I'd have more problems with this digital meter they put on the house not too long ago, but it hadn't seemed to be an issue. That's uh, interfaces and sound cards. Uh, what else you got? To me, there's only a couple of other parts, and one is the computer. But honestly, this in this day and age, it doesn't really matter what kind of computer you've got. If you can put a sound card in it that works, that that's good enough. And as far as the horsepower needed to run ham radio software, you really don't need much at all. So I don't think the computer is much of a factor when it comes to an ideal ham radio setup. But that being said, there really leaves only one other thing. We could talk for days on end about antennas, so we're not going to talk about antennas. But let's talk about the other part, which is the radio itself. If you had to pick, like, a good all-in-one HF rig, what would your selection be? Well, I mean, tell you right now, I'm quite happy with the one that I have, Yezu FT897. And even the ones I had before, which were all Kenwood TS440 uh, ATs. You know, as far as the audio quality is good for phone work, uh, what everybody's calling voice now, for phone work, it's going to be very similar in the case of these radios. Now, on the uh, on the uh, TS440s, we're feeding the audio in through the mic plug. That particular situation does have its own uh, challenges. On the uh, Yaesu, on the other hand, it has a uh, it has plug on the back, so it bypasses a lot of a lot of the stuff that would cause you to have issues with the audio signals as they proceed through the rig and out to the antenna. One of the things you need to take into account, I, my opinion would be, is uh, what radios are best supported in the ham, ham radio rig control libraries uh, on the particular distribution that you're using. In the case of my FT897, it does have rig control. It does most of the stuff that uh, uh, the radio will do via the rig control, but it is still listed as a beta in the uh, libraries, and there are one or two things it does not do. One of them's actually reading. There's a setting on the 897 where you can set it up for uh, not only upper and lower sideband, but you can also set it up for uh, low and high PSK or uh, 
USB and LSB PSK and USB and LSB data, and it will not switch over into those particular data modes. So that has to be done manually when the band is changed. If it's something that you can't just get along running up or a lower sideband to do it. And I really hate to say this, but the better the radio, the more expensive the radio, the better it's going to be supported. That's the way Linux is because the guys that, the guys that buy the higher end radios are going to want those radios, uh, be able to control those radios from their computer. But like I said, I'm quite happy with my little 897. It doesn't take up the whole damn counter like those other radios did, and uh, it does. It works just like it's supposed to. Yep, and from what I've seen, my my Kenwood works excellently with rig control. I have the TS570 uh, Delta. The, the TS570 is well supported by the ham libraries. The TS2000 is well supported by the ham libraries in the Kenwoods. Um, a lot of the Yazus are supported, uh, the FT897 and, and, uh, several along those lines, um, of that same sort of price break are, are all well supported, even, even the ones listed as beta. And as far as the ICOMs, if you're an ICOM kind of person, you would probably want something like the ICOM 756 or the 706, uh, or the 703, which is a QRP kit. Um, those are all well supported by the ham libraries. And of course, there are various, um, Alinkos and Tentex and Heath kits and, and various other radios that are supported as well. But if you're talking about the major manufacturers, you know, the TS570, the TS440, 430, uh, the TS2000, ICOM 756, 706, and uh, pretty much any Yezu you can name that's a mid-range to high-range HF rig, all well-supported, all work great with the sound card interfaces, and will all make a nice rig for your shack. You know, in fact, what you need to take into consideration when you're going to check out these radios is that when you're talking to people and asking them questions about them, you don't want something that's a super hot rod CW rig because that's not going to make any difference when you're running, uh, running via sound card. Even if you're running CW via the sound card, what is going to make a difference is, uh, how it works on the other end. How, how does it work on phone? Do, are people going to give you good signal reports? Are you going to be able to receive well? And that kind of stuff. These are very important issues when you're running digital modes. In fact, we got an email I'm going to read in a little bit, which, uh, bring, which highlights one of the deficiencies in uh, digital modes, or at least running digital modes on these radios. But uh, look for sound quality. That's one of the reasons I stuck with the Kenwoods for so many years, because of the three major, most common brands, and I'm not talking about Halicrafter and Alicraft and all them, all that other stuff. I'm talking about the top three when you talk to people, the ones that almost everybody has, Icom, Yezu, Kenwood. The audio quality on the Kenwoods for so many years was so much better, and in my opinion still is, uh, even though they're, they're starting to suffer some. As far as the computer's concerned, you know, Russ was telling you don't, saying you don't need much of a box. Well, you really don't. And that's one of the things we started on minimal hardware. We're still minimal hardware in most cases, unless you run across a bloated program. 
which you are less likely to do in Linux. Really, to tell you the truth, I plan on running a lot of these this software that we've talked about tonight on that machine I was telling y'all I was working with, which I haven't pulled out from under the desk in a while, not only for uh, D-Star and stuff, but also for HF so that I'm able to deploy it in the field. Y'all have to remember that my mission in amateur radio is probably different than a lot of y'all's. And in some cases, it may be the same or very close to the same. I'm going to look at more utilitarian stuff. Russ Wallago was talking about uh, some of the ICOMs. In fact, the first choice when I went to buy a brand-new rig, my very first brand-new radio, my first choice was an ICOM 718 because it was stripped-down utilitarian. It did what I needed it to do and didn't have a bunch of extra stuff to confuse me. So y'all keep that in mind also. So what else we got, Russ? Well, I think that's all we've got on our ideal ham shack topic. We can probably take a little break, listen to some more 20-pound sounds, and come back on the other side and finish up with our feedback section. If I had if I had my ideal ham shack, uh, it would put an awful lot of radio stations, commercial radio stations, to shame. We'll be back in just a minute.
Okay, and we are running down to the finish line. We're heading that direction. We've talked about stuff that y'all are going to go, what the hell are these guys talking about? All right, Russ, so what do we got going on as far as feedback? Well, just before we launch into feedback, I have a question uh, from the from the Linux side of things to the ham radio side of things. And since you're the ham radio guru, you're going to answer this question or you're going to try to answer it to the best of your ability. Uh huh. We were talking about 87 MI's, you know, ideal ham shack and his post earlier in the episode that struck within my brain, a question about logging specifically logging, uh, VHF and UHF contacts. And the fact that, we as ham radio operators tend to not do that these days. I mean, if you're, if you're part of the 3905 century club and you're, you know, trying to work for your worked all states or your DXCC or, or one of those things, obviously you're going to log those entries and, you know, keep a record of that information so you can get your QSL cards and all of that. If you're casually driving down the road and making two meter, you know, mobile contacts as you go along or whatever, you are 99% likely to not be logging those contacts. And it was one of my recollections from early in my ham radio career that it was required that you log all contacts as a ham radio operator. So why, when we're operating VHF mobile, do we not do that? Should we be doing that? I think you understand the spirit of my question. So, Mr. Guru, please answer my question. He actually asked me a question I know the answer to. The question is, why don't we log VHF, UHF contacts? In fact, we really don't log contacts above uh, 50 megahertz for the most part unless we are working for an award or some kind of doing experimental stuff or anything else. Well, you and I got licensed probably about the same time, Russ. I'm, I'm pretty sure within a few years of each other. At one time, every contact you made had to be logged so that you had a complete and current station record so that if the FCC should need to take a look at it, they could. Logs were mostly about uh, the FCC. Shortly before I became licensed, they eliminated the requirement of keeping a logbook. One of the reasons that the other stuff still holds over, if you're on HF and you make a contact, chances are you're going to want a, you're going to want a record of that contact. You're either going to send off QSL cards or you're applying for a, an award or you're working a special event stations, got certificates, or you're trying to prove to somebody that you actually did talk to, uh, I don't remember what the island is, uh, New Caledonia. I got one from New Caledonia. And, and that kind of stuff. But as far as, uh, mobile operation, as far as VHF, UHF is concerned, that's turned into more of a, uh, local intercom walkie talkie kind of thing. And since there is not really a requirement to log those anymore, people have kind of fallen away from it because most of the time, if you're on VHF or UHF, most especially if you're on one of the repeaters, Chances are you're mobile and trying to fill out a logbook while you're cruising down the highway at 75 miles an hour is just as dangerous as trying to send a text. 
So a lot of people have really moved away from doing that. Now, a lot of guys that when they first get licensed, go ahead and log them anyway. Somewhere in this radio room, I have a spiral notebook that has my first 10 contacts in it. Even though they don't appear in my radio log, they do, they are in that, uh, in that notebook that I was using as a, a log book when I first got licensed. So does that cover your question or should I elaborate? No, that covers the question just fine, but could you uh, be a little more specific about whether there was, in fact, like a published rule change that we can look up, or is this just a, is this more uh, customary? I don't remember when the actual rule change was done. I know it was just prior to uh, 1988, 1989, it was a change in the rules, best I can remember. It was an actual change in the rules. Or it might have just been a notice coming out of the FCC, but I believe it was an actual change in Part 97 that allowed that to happen, or possibly Title 47 of the CFR. Well, maybe we can ask our resident scholar, archivist, and show notes creator to see if we can dig that up somehow. Yeah, we need to try and dig that up. Uh, probably wouldn't hurt to talk about it a little bit on one of the shows. Oh, wait, we just did. <laughs> All right. Well, enough about that. Let's get on to feedback. Okay. Tell me some. No, you go first. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, somebody out there would like to know, Russ, how did you get that nice clean shave? I, I can't give away my secret for my nice clean shave. I'm, I'm sorry. There you go. Well, the first one I've got up is from uh, KC8RWR. And he asked, let's see, our, his feedback reads, Internet over EMA. Oh, this is going to be fun. I don't think it is possible. TCP IP isn't really made for high latency. The delay would break it. Uh, U.S. hams and DARPA have EME to ourselves for now. Uh, NASA is working on something interesting along those lines, but it isn't the Internet. Uh, something called uh, Alturl, A-L-T-U-R-L. Um, I think uh, U.S. hams would have fun with that. And that's from KC8R. WR, and I'm not sure what it, that's in reference to. Uh, apparently, episode 48. So, you got any opinions on that? Because I want to play with it in a minute. With what? Internet over EME? Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck with that. The, the URL that he mentions will be in the show notes, and it talks about deep space communications using EME that's being developed by NASA and DARPA. Pretty interesting read if anybody wants to follow up on that. So uh, check it out. And uh, I would like to point out that my my reference to Internet over EME in uh, episode number 48, I think it was, was purely a joke. I mean, obviously, that's, that's never going to happen. But uh, KC8RWR had to make a, a point about that. And in another pedantic way, he had to make a point about something else that was said. Uh, you didn't apparently get this one, but in another comment, he said, isn't Morse code pretty much dead? Now, Gherky code, on the other hand, is very much alive and seeing a resurgence in popularity. And he cites another link here, uh, alturl.com slash kwgyn. 
And this is a reference to the fact that Morse code, or what we think of as Morse code these days, was actually created by a gentleman named Gerke. And Morse code actually was developed way, way before that and sounds very different from what we consider modern Morse code. Now, obviously, he was just being a little know-it-all and a, a badger. Facetious. Yeah, he was being facetious. He was being a badger in the common parlance. But uh, I guess we should uh, give Gerke his due. And the link that I just mentioned actually shows the the tree of how the the letters in the in the American alphabet and the numbers are translated into Morse code, um, and it, it gives you kind of an interesting etymology of of how uh, modern Morse code uh, came into being. So you might want to check that out. Well, you know, off the top of my head, most things have come off the top of my head, including my hair. Uh, I'll back into this. We'll start with Morse code. Uh, off the top of my head, uh, Morse code and uh, what we use today are not exactly the same. Uh, it's my understanding that what we co- would call American Morse code is what was developed by Samuel Morris and used over the telegraph wires or something very similar where uh, it's not just dots and dashes. There are different length dashes. Uh, that kind of stuff. But what we use is Amateur Radio Operators International Morse Code, which is uh, a little more streamlined. And as far as being dead, there's still uh, railroad guys down on 30 meters running a uh, American Morse Code. And they run that Badger. at 50 to 60 words a minute. Uh, y'all try and keep up with that, and your uh, sound card interface won't decode it, will not decode it. As far as international Morse code, even though uh, there's been a big deal about it being dropped here and dropped there, and I remember when everybody was losing their minds about the Coast Guard had finally dropped Morse code, so there was no reason for amateur radio operators to have it. In that case, uh, they still use the military still uses Morse code in the field, even though it's not. Well, I don't know how you'd say it, but uh, I know it's not uh, something that is required or anything i that's not even right they use they still use it as far as us in fact there's been an upsurge in the international morse code uh since the dropping of the license here in the u.s who'd ever thought it uh mainly because uh the riffraff are kept out by the morse code in other words uh these guys are trying to get away from the guys that they are like that's a whole nother discussion. But the whole point is that Morse code is re- having a resurgence in popularity uh, because people do see its advantages and are finding out that there are stations they can get with Morse code that they just spread that stuff out over too much spectrum using phone to uh, be able to talk to them. Okay, that's two down. What else we got? Oh, wait a minute. I forgot about Internet over EME. Reminds me of a project that was going on back in the 90s when everybody was losing their minds because Microsoft Corporation was trying to get some of our frequencies. They were trying to take our VHF and UHF frequencies. They were trying to get uh, some of the stuff that was up a little higher and everything else because they were going to put into orbit uh, the little LEO satellite system. 
And what they were going to do with that is they were going to have everybody on the internet, uh, uh, wireless internet around the planet. And that was a big mess and everything else, but the project was on the board. It was planned. Uh, they were, uh, talking about moving ahead with it. And then I can't remember what happened, but they backed off of it. And in fact, they weren't really after our frequencies. They were after a different set of frequencies, but, uh, they had to list uh, a handful of stuff and hope they got it. And they knew if they listed ours, it'd be big uproar. As far as internet over EME, I can see it being made to work. It would take more time for me to explain it than we have here. And it is beyond the scope of this particular episode. Okay. So now what else have we got? Okay. We've got some feedback from KB five UEJ, which came in as an email. Uh, that's Kilo Bravo 5 Uniform Echo Juliet, by the way, in case I didn't say that quite nicely. And it says, Hi, Russ, I've been listening to episode number 46 and 47 today. You are quite a bit louder than Richard. Also, your audio is really muddy. Sounds like maybe overdriving the mic input. Sounds like your audio is clipping, sometimes worse than others. I've only recently started getting into podcasts. I've not listened to more of your podcasts, so maybe this is just because you're not in the normal location for recording. Maybe your program has some form of ALC that would help. I've listened to these on podcasts uh, on my truck stereo, iPhone speakers, and headphones. I've enjoyed what I've heard so far. Keep up the good work, but please back off on the audio just a little. 7-3 Craig. Well, thanks, Craig, for your uh, audio commentary or your commentary on the audio, rather. I do apologize for the the couple of episodes that came out of Studio 2N. The recording quality was, in fact, total crap, uh, at least as far as my end was concerned. But hopefully you can tell that as of Episode 50, and actually Episode 49 was pretty good as well, but Episode 50 is now back in Studio 1N, where everything should sound great. Thanks very much for being a listener, for uh, coming on board to the program. We always enjoy having new people show up, and uh, I hope you continue to listen for a while, or maybe forever, since uh, I think we'll probably be going that long. Anyway, that's uh, that's the email I got from KB5UEJ, so what do you think? Well, uh, I always thought it was my situation over here that was causing it to do so, but there for some, there are a couple times you have been a little hot, but I figure you know what you're doing better than I do. That's one of the reasons I never brought it up. Uh, I know from time to time I've even been hot on this side because I've had things misadjusted, but y'all have to understand I'm not sound guy. So, uh, if y'all want to yell at anybody, y'all need to yell at Russ because he knows about this stuff and should know better. That's right. If there are any audio issues, go ahead and send me an email. That's ka9wka at lhspodcast.info. Because I'm totally innocent. Send your hate mail to kb9wka, ka9wka. That's bill at google.com. Bill at Google Corporate Headquarters.com. Y'all send it to him. In fact, send one to Bill at Redmond, uh, Redmond, uh, Washington also. So what else we got? All right, well, let me do this one real quick uh, just so I can get it out of the way. Uh, this one's from uh, Grant, KC9SJQ, Kilo Charlie 9, Sierra Juliet, Quebec. Uh, and he said, am I missing something? I don't see a link for the video anywhere. 
And this was in reference to the video I had posted of a screencast uh, dealing with SSL certificates and logging into Linux boxes and stuff like that. And as it happens, that video has, in fact, disappeared. I'm not sure where it went. I'm still looking for it. And as soon as I find that video, I will repost it so that it is visible once again. If I can't find it, I will redo it. But one way or another, that video will show up at some point in the future. And thanks for pointing out, Grant, that it was missing. Oh, and also, thanks for listening to the show. Anything you need to add, want to add, care to add? Oh, no, I'm just glad the video's back because that's, like, important stuff. Well, it's not back yet, but it will be. Okay, I'm glad the video will be back in the future because that's important stuff. Yes, and there will be more screencasts in the future as soon as I find some time and inclination. So do you want to do the one for KB9TMP? Yeah, me too. Who? KB9TMP. I don't think I have that one. Okay, well, I have this one from KB9TMP, and hopefully we didn't already do this one. Stop me if we did. But it was uh, an email to both of us, and he may have only emailed it to me, but it's addressed to both of us. And it goes, oh, KB9TMP, by the way, is Kilo Bravo 9 Tango Mike Papa. Uh, Russ and Richard, first let me say it was nice hearing the infamous Bill, KA9WKA, on the show. He should show up on air more often. I had read the article Jeff, KE9V, wrote before listening to LHS number 48. I think what he has to say has a kernel of truth to it, but I also think he went too far with it. Ham radio will not die until the FCC sells all of our frequencies to commercial groups, revokes all of our licenses, and confiscates our radio equipment. The chicken littles of the hobby have been calling it dead since World War I, and it still keeps right on going. I agree with Richard's statement that ham radio is a training ground, even if we don't realize we are being trained. I also have to agree with Russ in being disappointed over the removal of the Cornbread Road podcast. I was really getting into it when he sold the rights and pulled it offline. By the way, I have added links to both Linux in the Hamshack and Resonant Frequency podcasts on my website. 7-3 from Lawrence County, Indiana. And that's from KB9TMP. So, Richard, go. Well, yeah, I found it. (laughs) It was in my archive directory. But anyway, well, thank you very much, and yes, and maybe. Tell you the truth, uh, you're right. As far as uh, everything we do is uh, training for something else. That's what I preached the whole time I was president of the Ham Association of Mesquite, the whole time I was assistant section manager on my second tour of duty, um, even to some extent over at the other podcast. And FCC is not going to yank our stuff. We have had stuff removed from us, but we always get something else in return, even though it might be of like kind. My opinion, they can have VHF and UHF and everything above that because um, I'm not too concerned about that, that anyway. And as far as Jeff is concerned, Jeff spreads a lot of disappointment. And I, I like what I've heard and I like what I've seen out of Jeff, but Jeff has a tendency to just pull up and go away. And he did it. He did it with LDE. He apparently has done it with Cornbread Road. And I understand that whatever deal he made for the story may have included him not putting out any more of it as a podcast. But if he was going to put out a patio book, he should have continued with the patio book. 
And I just hope y'all are sending enough information his way to, to make it difficult for him. Now, as far as adding the links, thank you so much. We can uh, use all the publicity we can get. And as far as Bill, we can't get Bill on very often. We have to drag him in here kicking and screaming. There's actually uh, places where he's dug the paint off the door jam from us dragging him in here. So uh, we'll try and get him in here more often, though. I agree with his points. KB9TMP is also a prolific uh, emailer and, and uh, feedback inspirer for our program. So I don't think we need to give him any larger of an ego than he already has. But thanks for the uh, thanks for the email, and uh, we look forward to your communiques in the future. All right, so let me do this one real quick and get it on knocked out of the way. Uh, next one's from Craig. We had another one from Craig, I think, but uh, this one's from Craig KB five uh, UEJ, and the subject is whisper. And the only person I see in the two line is me, so I don't know if he wanted me to read it or not. But what the hell? Uh, it says Richard, I have just been listening. Uh, to your podcast about whisper on lhs i wanted to drop you a quick note and let you know you can run less than five watts on an fta 897 i never run more than one watt transmitter output power on whisper while it's true you can only set the rig to five watts in the menu all you have to do is, is to reduce the audio drive to the rig all you need to see all you need to see this is an external watt meter. 73, Craig, KB5UEJ. Thank you, Craig, for sending that in. And, yes, um, I do know that I can get less out of this particular radio by not driving it as hard, by turning down the input volume or the volume, the output volume of the computer into the radio, but unfortunately with a lot of digital modes, and I found this out with packet radio most uh, most importantly, when you start reducing the actual audio level, parts of the signal, parts of the audio signal start to fall out because you don't ramp the audio signal down across in a straight line across the board. Let, let me see. Uh, all the frequencies don't reduce when you bring down the uh, audio. The frequencies don't come down in level at the same. Help me out here, Russ. <laughs> I think we all get what you're trying to say. The uh, the frequency. Le- I mean, the frequencies don't decrease uniformly. You That's get, what I'm saying. Right. You get dropouts in certain parts of the audio range, which cause your signal to actually get messed up well that and there there will be some things that can be heard and some not over distances and that kind of stuff and i yes it is a good idea it's the way i would handle it with some radios since i there are limitations to this ft897 and the actual audio equipment i'm using in my computer uh, this particular way of doing it and on whisper it may work it work perfectly fine but in the case of some other stuff, I know for sure it won't work. Like I said, I ran into this problem with packet radio. Um, good example is I had a controller that the uh, audio out into the radio was starting to get a little weak. Uh, I checked it locally on a radio here, plugged in another controller, decoded it with another computer. It was just fine. A uh, guy 20 or so miles away over in Plano could hear the signal on his radio 
it sounded good to him. He made a recorded recording and sent it to me. It sounded good to me. And I say that because I run, I've run packets so much over the years. I can kind of, I can't decode it by ear, but I can tell, tell a good signal from a bad one. And, uh, everything should have worked, but because of the decrease in actual audio output of that particular controller into that radio, um, it had gotten to the point that I couldn't even connect with this guy who was getting a full scale signal. However, I will take this under advisement. And when I do bring the whisper back up, I will give it a shot and we will see how it works out. Thank you, Craig, for sending in your email. All right. I think that's about it. I do have one more quick one that I can rattle off. Do you have anything else over there? Nope. Not a damn thing. Okay. Well, here's the last one for me and then we're out of here. Uh, this one came in from Matt. It does not have a call sign associated with it, but it's a pretty simple email. Uh, the email was, what's the artist slash title of the song in about one hour in the latest show? And the latest show he was talking about was episode number 48. Uh, he says, I really enjoy your show, and thanks. Well, thanks, Matt, for writing in. And the answer to your question, the song was called Endline, subtitle Choose Nothing, and the group was I Am Not Left-Handed. The information and a link to the song are in the show notes for episode number 48. So if you want to go look that up, uh, check out the website, lhspodcast.info, show notes number 48, and it's all right there for you. So thanks for writing in, and thanks for listening. Yep, yep, and Russ almost forgot, uh, after we started recording the show uh, this evening, we ended up getting a donation. We like to tell everybody... uh Thank you on uh, when uh, one of them comes in. So uh, once again, we talked a lot about Scott, AD7MI tonight. We'd like to thank Scott for sending in a donation early in the show this evening. So with that, I don't have anything else. Well, you got you got anything else for us? Nope, we're tabula rasa. The show is over, so well, bring us well, on out. Well, in that case, uh, from Free Taco Night at the Jack in the Box uh, here in Balt Springs, Texas, I'm KB5JBV. If you want to get in contact with me, send me an email at KB5JBV at gmail.com. KB5JBV at gmail.com. Or if you want to look me up on the social networks, check all the usual suspects, uh, look for KB5JBV. I can be found there too. Uh, you folks that are signing up on Twitter, I'm sorry about not getting to you any quicker, but I really don't check that one much. Uh, other than that, uh, I think that's it for now. Uh, let me hand it over to Russ over in the north end of the studio. Take it away, Russ. Okay, if you want to get in contact with me, I'm J.R. Woodman on all the popular social networks on the Internet. My email address is k5tux at lhspodcast.info, or you can email both of us at info at lhspodcast.info. Or you can send us a voicemail at 417-200-4811. Choose the appropriate option for Linux in the Hamshack. You can also use 888-455-0305 if you happen to like toll-free numbers. Send us that feedback in. Give us some audio commentary. We'll put you on the show unless you request that we don't. Um, like I said, I'm on the social networks. I gave out my email address. The website for the show is lhspodcast.info. Our show schedule, live recording schedule, links to all of our cool stuff, cool content, is all over there, so check it out. You can leave a comment for the show there as well. 
And you can even chat with us live. I am now on Echolink. You can find me on Echolink at node 54711. Uh, so go ahead and look for me there. Look for K5TUX, my call sign, if you can't remember 54711. Uh, and you can also chat with a lot of people who listen to the show when we're not live and even when we are live over at irc.freenode.net. Uh, that's port 6667 in channel hash LHS podcast. There's always people over there, so come by during the week when you're working, when you're not supposed to be out talking on the internet, and look us up. Thanks to everybody who's been listening to the show. Thank you to all our new listeners. And thank you to those who have been signing up for our mailing list. You can go to lists.bluecows.com stroke mailman stroke list info and sign up for the mailing list for LHS podcast or for MagnaCon, Mid-America GNU Linux Networkers Conference, which will be in St. Louis from May 6th through May 7th, 2011. And we hope to see all of our listeners there, if possible. So I think that's about all I've got from Studio 1N up here in uh, the pine forest between the peaks of north-central Arkansas. And we'd also like to send a special thanks to Dan Lynch of the Linux Outlaws and 20 Pound Sound for providing the music for this episode. And with that, I'm just about talked out, so I'm going to send it back to the Chinese Laundry in Dallas, and Richard's going to send us home. All right, and uh, y'all make sure you join us next time as we try to get a badger through airport security in Canada. And with that, uh, this is KB5JBV, and we'll see you next time.